0: Good evening, it's good to see each one of you here tonight for the last night of revival, but we're glad you're here, amen? It's been a great week, hasn't it? I'm telling you what, the Lord is good. Let's all stand together. Let's turn to page 278 together, if you would. The song, I Am Resolved, page 278. We'll sing the first, second, and last verse together tonight as we begin. I am resolved, no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. That are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Saviour leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, he is the just one, he hath the words of life. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come. I am resolved and who will go with me, come friends without delay, taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, we'll walk the heavenly way. Welcome to thee. Amen.
1: Well, praise the Lord. Man, what a great week we've had in the Lord. Amen. And sure thankful you're here uh, tonight. It's our uh, last night. Uh, Of course, tomorrow uh, you have a day to rest up and uh, some of us have a day to prepare for Sunday. Amen. And so, but looking forward to being back in the Lord's house uh, Sunday morning. And so if you are in the pastor's class, make sure you're uh, already working in the letter R and, and getting uh, going on that and our ABCs. will get started back uh, in that. And then, of course, uh, looking forward to getting back into the book of Romans. And then Brother Jack Parker, our missionary to Japan, is going to be preaching uh, Sunday night. And then if you got kids in school, uh, in Faith Baptist School, they have Monday off for Columbus Day. All right. And so, uh, and I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to not getting out of bed for a while on Monday. Amen. We're sure glad you're here tonight, and uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, tonight. Father, thank you for, Lord, thank you for a great week. God, I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I think of those that have been here, uh, Lord, every night and involved, uh, whether it be the music or just serving and through the preacher's meeting or, Lord, just helping out with cleaning or, uh, you know, touching up our bathrooms or, or, Lord, our ladies that have been so faithful to Uh, Jump in and help out with the nursery and all of the different things that go on and and just so thankful. And uh, Lord, just thank you. Thank you for bringing your man to us. Thank you for the Word of God. And Lord, thank you for speaking to us each night. Lord, as I was driving in this evening, I was just thinking, Lord, just want to ask that you would be glorified once again tonight. And I pray, Lord, that when it's all said and done, that the coals, the the spiritual coals of our heart will be raked over and the flames, Lord, will begin to burn again for you. And God will be more in love with you and on fire for you, uh, Lord, when all of this is said and done. And so, Lord, asking that you would again meet with us tonight, that you would bless the preaching of your word tonight. Uh, Lord, just trusting that you've given Brother Alexander the message that we need to hear I think about tomorrow and him traveling and getting back and and services there in Homestead at Bayview Baptist Church, and God just praying that you'd give them grace. I think of his son tonight having a ball game and him not being able to be there, and I know that's hard, uh, Lord, as a dad, but God just give grace uh, there and and uh, bless in that, and Lord, just meet with us tonight, help us tonight, help us to set aside all the things of this wicked world, Lord, and just focus again on you tonight And hear from you. And God help us to open our hearts tonight. And let you speak. And oh God that we would respond. And I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Brother come on
0: ahead tonight. Would you turn to page 299. Aren't you thankful when the Lord said whosoever that meant you. Amen. Page 299. We'll sing the first second and last verse together. He included me. I am so happy in Christ today that I go singing along my way. Yes, I'm so happy to know and say, Jesus included me too. Jesus included me. Yes, he included me. When the Lord said, whosoever, he included me included me, yes, he included me, when the Lord said, whosoever, he included me, gladly I read, whosoever may, come to the fountain of life today, but when I read it, I always say, Jesus included me too included me yes he included me when the Lord said whosoever He included me Jesus included me yes he included me when the Lord said whosoever. Freely come drink words the soul to thrill Oh with what joy they my heart to fill For when he said whosoever will Jesus included me too Jesus included me Yes, he included me When the Lord said whosoever He included me ever, he included me, amen.
1: Amen. Let's go ahead and have our men uh, come uh, tonight, and again, we are taking up our offering uh, each night uh, this week, and anything that comes in not marked as tithes or or missions will go uh, to the meeting uh, this week and being a blessing to the man of God. So let's pray tonight. Brother Will Kennedy, would you pray for us tonight? Amen. I want you to be seated tonight.
0: page number 317 will be our last song tonight if you would stand please victory in Jesus we'll sing all verses tonight page 317 <clears throat> sing it out on that first I heard an old old story how a savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary to save us. Like me, I heard about his groaning of his precious blood. I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing, how He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came me the victory, oh victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels
2: singing
0: and the old redemption story and some sweet I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his riches. Amen. Great singing. You may be seated tonight. Just before the message, Brother Tim and Santa Quinlan are going to sing tonight.
2: i fix my eyes on thee my savior i search your word your face to see that as your image becomes clearer i'll see your likeness emerge in me i I want want your glory to consume me me, till every part of my design is lost completely in your wonder, and all my ways replaced with thine. I fix my eyes on thee, my Savior, that as I see, a hurting face your love will move me with compassion to go and touch them with your grace and when each day they see me serving and they look upon my face Instead of my eyes, may they witness the eyes of Jesus in their place. I fix my eyes on thee, my Savior, that as I walk a troubled road, your face will radiate. A glow that will show this sinner where to go And when temptation comes to threaten To remove me from the way I'll have the grace to overcome it As on thee I fix my gaze i fix my eyes on thee my savior every hour of every day i would not want to spend one minute from your beauty turned away and when these earthly eyes grow dim lord and i take my journey home I'll fix my eyes on your full glory when I stand before your throne. I'll fix my eyes on your full glory when I stand before your throne.
1: And I sure appreciate Brother Ted, uh, Alexander, uh, just making it a point to be here with us. I know it's not easy and, you know, leaving your family and church and all of that stuff and coming up here and ministering to us, but it's been a a great week and certainly the Lord's had his hand in it. Amen. So let's go ahead and finish up tonight, brother, and finish strong. So preach the
3: word. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to have you take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 tonight the 4th chapter of 1st Thessalonians I want to say thank you to the church for the comfortable place to stay and uh we settled it today Q39 is the champion amen <laughs> we had to go to Jack Stack just to make sure about it but <clears throat> I will probably not eat barbecue for a very long time amen <laughs> I am barbecued out amen I'd probably yeah, Give me, I'd rather have beans and rice right now than barbecue, amen. <clears throat> but it's been a blessing, amen, and I appreciate your attendance to the messages and the sweet spirit that you've been easy to preach to. And I want to try to bring you something tonight that is uh, something I keep dealing with over and over, and uh, I, I don't think it's going to get any better, I think it's going to get a whole lot worse, and that is that people are trying to steal our blessed hope and our comfort of the imminent return of Jesus Christ at the rapture. And I want to try to preach a doctrinal, not that they're not all doctrinal, but I want to preach a very doctrinal message tonight and try to lay out some things for you so that you can understand um, just exactly why I believe in a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture of all the saved of the times of the Gentiles. Now, when I say all the saved, I don't say the church, because not everybody's in the church. If you're not in a church, you're not in the church. Amen. Uh, the church is represented by a churches. Amen? And so I, I say the rapture of the saved and the whole family of God is the way I say it. And uh but anyway, I want to try to deal with this tonight. <clears throat> I want to encourage you, first of all, in the midst of doctrinal confusion, uh all around us today, don't let anyone steal your comfort. First Thessalonians chapter 4. In reference to the coming of Christ at the rapture, the Bible closes this important section. We'll come back to this a little bit later, so I don't want to get into it right now. But with verse 18, wherefore, based on all the previous truths, which again we'll touch on here in a little bit, comfort one another with these words. I want to, first of all, try to give you some comfort tonight, amen? Jesus Christ is coming again, amen? Amen. Uh, I was just today texting with a preacher and found out that his son came out as a homosexual. I'm going to tell you, when stuff like this happens, it just makes you long for heaven more and more. just makes you want to get out of all the sorrows and all the troubles and all the pains and all the heartaches and all, all the disappointments. It just makes you want to be with Jesus. Amen? And I'm glad to report that at any moment, Jesus Christ could come at the rapture. Amen. I won't turn there with you, but in Titus, we're also told about the blessed hope. Amen? The coming of Christ is called our blessed hope. So don't let anyone steal your blessed hope. Don't let anyone steal your comfort. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not going to turn to every passage. We're, please keep your Bible. We're going to be in a lot of scripture tonight, probably more than any other of the messages. But Hebrews chapter number 10, and I want to try to lay out a biblical case for this. I will say several years ago I was handed a video, worshiping you can do to a preacher, you tell them you're going to do a Bible conference and you're not, you don't give them a subject to preach on, and then hand them a Steven Anderson video on Saturday night. And it was after the tribulation, that, that video, that piece of garbage, and uh, I literally was up till four or five o'clock in the morning uh, going point by point biblically refuting it and then preached it all throughout that conference. And. Uh, But there's there's a lot of confusion. It's not just coming from him. It's coming from a lot of different directions. But I want you to understand something: Uh, we are expected to be able to see what's going to happen coming down the pike. Amen. Uh, Notice, of course, in our first passage, I didn't uh, really hash this out. We're going to get to that in a bit. But uh, God doesn't want us ignorant of these things. I mean, He said, "I would not have you to be ignorant." So, you know, I was talking to a preacher years ago, and he had me come preach on eschatology, and he said, I really appreciate you doing this. I said, why is that? He said, because I quote, never preach on eschatology. And I said, well, why is that? He said, I never touch revelation. He said, I just don't understand it. But I want you to understand, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. And if you're confused about it, it's it's not proper to just go bury your head in the sand, let people just twist your minds and pull your people out and mess your sheep all up. That's not the way to go, amen? so we that are saved by the grace of God, we have a a specific special blessing the world does not have. Notice first number 24, the Bible said, let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, watch this, as ye, the saved, see the day approaching. We can literally, based on, uh, let me just lay this out just real quickly. Based on the fact that we know that right after the rapture, Antichrist will step out of the shadows of darkness and the wings of wickedness. And he will come, Revelation chapter 6 verse 1, both conquering and to conquer. He will set up a fourfold worldwide dominion. And uh, we can see right now because the platform is being built for him to be able to receive his kingdom very quickly after the rapture takes place. In that sense, we can see the day approaching. We can see the one world monetary system coming together. We can see all the ecumenicalism and the one world religions, the seed control, the mind control, uh, literally tracking people. Everything is there. I, I don't want to get into all of that and all the earmarks of the tribulation period, but uh, we that are saved by the grace of God, we can see the day approaching. And this is supposed to, as we see it drawing near, it should motivate us to exhortation, to love, and to good works, amen? Now the imminent pre-tribulational rapture of the saved is upon us. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 12, Paul said it this way. He said, the night, that's the time when the devil, the God of this world, rules this world. The night, he said, is far spent, He said, the day is at hand. You can just about reach out and touch the day. Amen. He said, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Not only if you're messed up on the rapture, do you lose your blessed hope and do you lose your comfort, but you will not be moved with an urgency with which we need to move with. Our prayers, our witnessing, our godly living, everything that we do, there ought to be an urgency because, my friend, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. In other words, if you're ever going to do anything for Jesus, it better be now because we never know when he could burst through the clouds. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, just trying to get us thinking the right direction. I'm going to make several more comments. and then we're going to start walking through the Scripture. But let's pray together tonight. Father, I love you. And one last time, we ask for an anointing for leadership of the Holy Ghost. You know, Lord, when I get on this subject, I'd like to never get off it. And so Lord, I just pray, help me to say things that are necessary, nothing that is not. Uh, Lord, I pray not go too fast, that I'd confuse people. But I pray that when we're all done here tonight, we'd be able to say, Jesus is coming, and we better get serious about living for him. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're about to do. Bind all devils and distractions away from this place. And I pray the word of God would have free course tonight. You get the glory. For this and for every message and for the entire meeting and lord if there be one lost i pray they'd see that there's not much time left to be saved and they would fear and run into your arms of salvation father we thank you for that in jesus name amen Amen. let me just state tonight that i am still dispensational i still believe in literalness in reference to interpreting our bible historicity grammar using context uh, remember, and let me just, uh, I'm gonna throw some things out at you. There are those that argue against our position, and I'm not gonna lay out every reason for that, but there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, there are a lot of people in the past that were good people that did not believe this, they didn't understand this, or whatever the case is. Let me just remind you, and this is in reference to everything that you're gonna come across theologically, the historical test is never the primary text, test in Christianity. In other words, what, what really the test is, is nevertheless what saith the scriptures. For example, if I wanted to teach adoptionism, And adoptionism was a prevalent heresy in the early to middle centuries, and that taught that Jesus Christ received his deity at his baptism. I could take you to a lot of authors, and I could literally almost have you convinced that adoptionism was a prevalent belief, and it was, but the Bible teaches completely against it, amen? And so understand this, folks. It doesn't matter how many or who believed this in the past. You and I are standing on the shoulders of giants. And theological systems in full understanding, we know in the last, days knowledge will increase we are benefiting from those that went on before us but and i could really just do a whole message on evidence for a pre-tribulational rapture not just premillennialism, but a pre-tribulation rapture in the writings of those that went before us but i don't have time to do that but i want to remind you that i'm not going to look tonight into history i am a baptist historian i love the history of theology i've taught a lot on historical theology and such uh, because you cannot study the baptist without seeing the history of theology because what makes them Baptist was their theology and their doctrine, and so you just run smack into it. But what I want to use tonight is strictly the Word of God, not emotionalism, not my opinion, not my anger, or being upset at what somebody else believes. Let me just say this. In the last few months, I have been emailed and messaged, and I have fielded questions, believe it or not, like this. Preacher, you've taught a lot about this. Are we in the tribulation? One guy texted me and said, do you think we're this is the end? Do you think we're, I mean, like it's all over? And uh, so I'm getting questions like that. We literally had to discipline a man out of our church because he persisted in this idea <clears throat> that we are living in Revelation chapter 12 right now in the middle of the tribulation period and you couldn't convince him out of it. He was going kind of tattletailing behind my back and at one case he went to one of our men and said, you know, the preacher's so stubborn and won't move off his position on a pre-trib rapture. And Brother Chris said, Praise God, I'm glad that he is. Amen? Then the information made it back to me. But this guy was adamant. And you know why he believed that? Because he'd been on some astrological website of some crazy dude with a tinfoil hat. Amen? And uh, this guy was because of the alignment of the stars in Revelation 12 and the alignment that we just experienced here on planet Earth and what was happening when Jesus was born. You put all that together and if you really look through the telescope, long. enough you can see this. It's just absolutely crazy. But this is the stuff that we're facing today. There was a stint when I was in evangelism, a evangelism, and I was talking to pastor after pastor after pastor. There was a stretch of about six months where every single church, I'm talking about bar none, every single church I was in either had somebody try to bring Steven Andersonism in. They were a big Anderson follower. They had somebody that had split their church, was causing trouble in the church, or was starting to visit their church and they're asking me all these questions folks there is a massive attack on this position of the pre-tribulational rapture of all of the saved amen at the same time several prominent bible teachers as of late have discarded their once held conviction of the pre-trib uh, imminent rapture of the saints now espousing the view that we will have to go through at least part of the tribulation period long long ago you know it was uh, marv rosenthal of zion's fire and then it became anderson and now there's of just multitudes of people out there. I was telling your pastor, I was talking to a BBC graduate or his wife here about 10 years ago, my wife and I, come to find out he was in the graduate school and was finishing up eight years of education. Listen to me, he didn't know what his position was on the millennial kingdom. I'm gonna tell you what, that is a much bigger question even than the timing of the rapture because it dictates your entire theological uh, system. How can you study for eight years past high school for the purpose of knowing your theology and not even know what your position is on the millennial kingdom. It absolutely blows my mind. But look, folks, we're living in days of confusion today. I'll give you an example. Not long ago, I ended up in a situation in Tennessee, probably about seven or eight years ago. We pulled in on a uh, Saturday night uh, to preach on a Sunday for a preacher in the state of Tennessee. Last I talked to him, everything was fine. He hadn't bumped his head or anything like that yet. Amen. I had been smoking marijuana or whatever makes these guys do this. uh, But but I sat down with him. Believe it or not, preacher, his wife made brisket. Amen. I don't know why that seems to be the theme of this meeting. Amen. (laughs) Buckle up and eat brisket. I guess. Amen. You put it all together. But uh, we sat down that night. His wife fed us. We sat down on the couch and and. my kids were all down in the bus and they're uh, you know we had to, all of our kids at home then they're getting prepared and you know they're getting their showers and my wife and his wife were sitting at the table he and i sat on the sofa and he looked at me and he said this he said pray i have to tell you something before you preach tomorrow i said what's that brother he said i just want you to know that we have gone uh mid-trib and i was like ha ha funny right you got any better than that he's like no brother i'm serious and i was like really i said what in the world did you do that for and here was his response well he said brother there's just a couple of passages and i was uh, you know I, I i don't understand if it's not a mid-trib and a couple of passages just troubled me and i said wait a minute he said how do you feel about that was his next question i said i think it's heresy I think it's unscriptural. I think the Bible clearly teaches a pre-tribulational rapture of all the saved. He said, well, really? I said, yeah. In fact, I said, if you'll be quiet long enough and promise me you won't open your mouth, would you let me sit here and show you? I started in the Old Testament, started walking all the way through the New Testament. About an hour and 15 or 20 minutes later, I got to the end and I said, well, brother, let me just stop and ask, what do you think? He said, well, brother, I believe just about everything you just said. I said, then why in the world did you go to a mid-trib rapture? He said, well, he said, you know, uh, I've already put it on the website. We've already announced it to the church. He said, I can't change it now and I don't really want to discuss it and get into a big debate with you. I thought to myself, how sad this is. Somebody comes along, sweet-talking them, gives them a couple confusing questions. Instead of talking to somebody or praying them through or taking some time, seeking godly counsel from those that have maybe studied a little bit better than you have, they just jump on the bandwagon, change everything on the website, announce it to the church. Now come to find out there was a family of about 12 in that church. The man owned a lucrative business and was dumping a bunch of money in the offering plate. I'm not saying that was the whole reason, but boy, there sure was a snake in the woodpile. I think it stunk to high heaven, amen? Just so happened this prominent large family here, he came in here pushing this mid-trib and all of a sudden, you have seen it in the Bible for the first time in your life. Needless to say, that meeting did not go very well. Amen. And I have never been back and never shall go back because I cannot be hamstringed on something as important as a pre-trib rapture. Amen. And so my question is this tonight, is the pre-trib position, is it just wishful thinking? Is it just something that we bought because somebody said that was the way it was or is it solid theology? Is it based on just a few scriptures? Or is it really in the midst of the whole tenor of scripture that we can see that God has a clear field of truth on this subject? What I want to do tonight is I want to share with you as much as I can get to. And I have my clock right here, amen. It's right on my iPad. Praise God. I'll try not to keep you everybody has a long beard tonight, amen. But I do want to share with you a few reasons why I still believe in a pre-tribulational, imminent rapture. Of the saved, the church, and the whole family of God in this age of grace, church age, times of the Gentiles, whatever you have a mind to call it. But I want to preach on why I believe in a pre tribulational rapture. First thing I'd like you to do tonight is take your Bible, go to John chapter 14 with me. Before you get to any of these quote difficult to understand passages, I want you to understand that number one, there are pure, unmistakable rapture passages. One of them is John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. As much as I am a stickler for context, I've often caught myself saying, what is amazing about John 14 is, the verses we're about to read, uh, they are so straightforward and so powerful that literally uh, you don't even have to look at context very much here to understand what is going on in this passage of Scripture it is as straightforward as is possible I'm saying that all of the features of interpretation to understand what God is getting across here are intrinsic to the text itself and so don't trouble yourself trying to go to 15 other places to see what this actually means look with me if you would to a very familiar passage of Scripture john chapter number 14 verse number one let not your heart be troubled ye believe in god believe also in me this is a promise to those who are believers verse number one in my father's house stop let me ask you a question where's the father's house it's not down below it's not here with us it's up in heaven amen so now we delineate that there are believers being spoken to about a place in heaven all the features again intrinsic to the passage he said in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you so where's Jesus going when he leaves uh, there after his resurrection he is going up to the Father's house to prepare places for us Amen. he said verse 3 and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again So he's down here, he goes up there. It's not difficult stuff, folks. And then he comes again down here, amen? And when he comes down, it is for a purpose. You will note the purpose is, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So we find the purpose of his coming is to receive people unto himself, not to establish a kingdom. That's the second advent. And man, I I don't wanna stop and, and do too much here tonight but I, I do think I need to say this as letter of the Holy Spirit because I think some people are just genuinely confused and don't understand the timeline of eschatology. For example, I finished a conference one night and I had a lady come to me and she'd been in church for many, many moons and she said, Preacher, I appreciate you explaining that there are two comings because I never understood that. Let me just share with you. If this was our timeline, you and I are standing as we've mentioned with our toes and our nosies in the rapture. Amen? When the rapture takes place there's an undetermined amount of time between the rapture and the establishment of Antichrist's kingdom which begins when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. When that begins, before the ink is ever dried, Daniel's 70th week, seven solid years, 1260 days plus 1260 days times time and a half a time times two, that begins to unfold. It is Jacob's trouble, has virtually nothing to do with the church whatsoever. When that takes place, the first coming of Christ is past. He came to take those that are saved by the grace of God. Up to heaven with him amen and now we find that after the seven years jesus christ then comes back with the armies of heaven and those that are saved by the grace of god now they have been to the judgment seat of christ now they've been prepared and gone to the marriage and the marriage supper of the lamb and they've toured the father's house different program there on up there than what people are down here going through 21 cataclysmic judgments then christ comes back at the second advent revelation chapter 19 with a sharp two-edged sword going out of his mouth on a white horse a vesture dipped in blood. His name's called the Word of God. He comes like Antichrist, but really conquering and to conquer. And he comes and splits the Mount of Olives. Amen. Stomps through the Valley of Megiddo. The, the blood runs up to the horse bridles. He calls the fowls of the air to come and feast on all the dead bodies. He stomps through that valley like a wine press of the wrath of Almighty God. But there is a second advent. When he comes the second time, he comes and places his feet on the earth and establishes after a short period, a one thousand literal year millennial kingdom where he will rule and reign with a rod of iron which is a reversion much like back to the Garden of Eden all the features of the Garden of Eden are there in that kingdom there's longevity of life the land is blessed the waters burst forth there's just a whole host of things by the way the old sacrificial system is reinstated now not pointing to Christ to come but pointing back to what Jesus did amen and all should come up and worship the Lord but there's two coming of Jesus Christ you have to understand this there is a rapture that's what we're talking about tonight then after the seven-year tribulation there is a second advent this passage is not dealing with the second advent We've got to be careful about throwing all of our eggs into one basket and confusing theological terms. It's like bodybuilding, bride, family of God, church, all those things. You can't just throw everything in one bag. They're specifically given with specific definitions. The rule of grammar dictates I don't get to redefine words. Amen. The Bible defines the words and I simply must accept them. Don't get to redefine in words or we're all going to be in a heap of trouble. So let me just move on here. All right, I don't know why I got on that, but somebody obviously needed that, amen? We're talking about the rapture. Notice, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, where's that? That's up in heaven, there you may be also. Amen. He says, I'm coming down to receive you to me, so I can go up there and take you up there with me. Amen? And verse number four, and whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. I am telling you that this is a pure, unmistakable rapture passage in so much that if the New Testament taught nowhere else about a rapture, I would be convinced of it based on just this scripture alone. Jesus is going to prepare a place, coming to get us, to take us to that place. That is crystal clear in this passage of scripture. Take your Bible very quickly. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. There are pure, unmistakable rapture passages. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I'm going to talk about those two comings in just a minute. I want you to understand that that's not just an opinion. This is proven out in the scriptures. In so much that there is an entire set of scriptures that deal with them coming at the rapture. And a totally different entire set of scriptures that deal with him coming back at the second advent. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But First Corinthians 15, notice if you would, for sake of time, verse number 50. The Bible said in verse 50 down through verse number 53. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality now let me just state this to you because i really want you to understand this because much of the confusion today has to do with people taking those two comings and mixing them together and i want you to understand by the way they do this by not first of all there's a lot of reasons for this and I just really won't get into all of it but whenever you see elect, elect the election the elect of God these are largely in the New Testament references to the nation of Israel they are not references to people who were eternally elected to salvation so when you see in matthew chapter number 24 that he gathers the elect from the four winds that is absolutely not the rapture that is him gathering the jews there uh, my friend for their kingdom praise god out of all the nations Anderson mixes up that, he mixes up all the trumpets. You have Gentile trumpets, you have Jewish trumpets. He further mixes up tribulations. He'll state, for, for example, uh, see here, Jesus said in this world you shall have tribulation, therefore we are going through the Jewish seven year great tribulation period. Folks, can I tell you that bumping your toe or, or having a flat tire has nothing to do with you being a Jew under the wrath of God for seven years to bring you back so that he can physically engather you, then save you, then give you a kingdom that he promised you. He didn't promise us that kingdom. Amen. The physical kingdom was a promise of the nation of Israel and all those unconditional covenants and promises given in the Old Testament. Now, I have no idea where it's at, but let me get back to this. Amen. It is clear in some passages, listen to me carefully, Jesus comes for the saints, amen? And then in some, he comes with the saints of God. The new push is truly a no rapture push, which is not new, it's old Catholic, all millennialism. Think about how crazy this is. If in Matthew 24, he gathers them, he gathers all the elect, all right, and they say this is a rapture, then he would literally call us up from the earth to take us right back down. Like you're up to the clouds and boom, like a McDonald's arch, you're coming right back down. Amen, I don't know if you slide on the arch or not. It's just absolute insanity. No, this is a gathering of the Jews, all right? Now, let me just move on. In this heresy, they try to throw everything in one bag and say the catching up passages are just the second advent. Is this right? Let me give you a thought. The second coming. Is outlined in Daniel 244 and 45, Daniel 7, 9 through 14, Daniel 12, 1 through 3, Zechariah 14, 1 through 15, Matthew 13, 41, Matthew 24, 15 through 31, Matthew 26, 64, Mark 13, 14 through 27, Mark 14, 62, Luke 21, 25 through 28, Acts 1, 9 through 11, Acts 3, 19 through 21, 1 Thessalonians 3, 13 second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 second Peter 3, 1 through 14, Jude 14, 15, Revelation 1, 7, Revelation 19, 11 through 26, Revelation 22, 7, 12, and 20. The rapture, however, this is Jesus coming for the saints, is outlined in John 14, 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 53, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Romans 8, 19, 1 Corinthians 1, 7, and 8, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Philippians 3, 20, and 21, Colossians 3, 4, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, First Thessalonians 5 23, 2 Thessalonians 2 1, 1 Timothy 6, 14, 2 Timothy 4 1, Titus 2 13, Hebrews 9 28, James 5, 7 through 9, 1 Peter 1 7 and 13, 1 John 2 28 through chapter 3 and verse 2, Jude 21, Revelation 2 25, and Revelation 3 10. By the way, if you have a mind, go look those passages up. Two entirely different things happening. One he's coming for the saints. One, he's coming with the saints. These are two different events. You cannot mix them together. In the rapture, did you know there's no reference to Satan? But in the second coming, Satan is bound. At the rapture, he comes for his own. At the second coming, he comes to earth, or rather comes with his own. In the rapture, he comes in the air. At the second coming, he comes to the earth. At the rapture, he claims his bride. At the second coming, he comes with the bride, which he has already claimed. In the rapture, only his own shall see him. In the second coming, every eye shall see him. At the rapture, the great tribulation begins. At the second advent, the millennial kingdom begins. And So what are you trying to say? I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because of clear rapture passages, dozens and dozens of them that have nothing to do with the second advent coming to set up a millennial kingdom. Now, I want you to, I want to do something tonight uh, that I I hate when preachers do this to me, but it's got to be done. Amen? Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 4 and hold your finger there. And we are actually going to flip back and forth. Secondly... I want you to see the call to come up hither of Revelation chapter 4. Now you may have heard this, but I want to prove this to you biblically. And that is that John's rapture in Revelation chapter 4, by the way, there's a lot of raptures in the Bible. Amen? I'm not trying to confuse you, but Enoch was raptured, amen? And uh, we have prophets raptured, and now we've got uh, John being raptured. There's just a lot of things in the Bible that deal with catching away, amen? But this specifically I want to deal with here is John's rapture. John is caught up into heaven supernaturally, okay? And this is an allegory, or you could call it a shadow or even an arrow, that points to our rapture. And not only does it point to our rapture, but it delineates for us the timing of our rapture. Now why do I say that? Hold your finger in Revelation chapter 4, and then hold your finger in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One of the best ways to interpret Scripture is with other Scripture. Amen? Here a little and there a little. Here a little and there a little. So notice, if you would here, the call to come up hither in Revelation 4. Now I want to very quickly look at Revelation 4 with me quickly. And look at verse number 1. Hold these both passages. We're going to go back and forth, okay? he said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And then he starts to give his description of heavenly things. Then he will proceed throughout the book of Revelation to give his perspective of heavenly things and earthly things but note that john's perspective throughout the entire book of revelation is of him being in heaven after his rapture John is not seen back down on earth until Revelation 17 at the judgment of the mother of harlots when an angel catches him away, takes him into the wilderness, and he sees the judgment of the great whore. And incidentally, my personal belief is, biblically and literally, I believe he's taken to the wilderness of Rome. I do believe Roman Catholicism will be the head of the ungodly one world religion. And I believe he's possibly looking at Vatican City out in the trees somewhere, amen, uh, there in Revelation 17. But my point is, His perspective is that he is raptured, and all through the tribulation, John is up in heaven. Now, notice, if you would, I want you to notice some features here, okay? You've got 1 Thessalonians, and you've got Revelation chapter 4. Notice a couple things very quickly. I want you to notice... That there are features in both of these passages that are identical. I also want you to note that they are in chronological order. In so much that if we are wrong on this interpretation, then there's no point even trying to interpret the Bible. This is so simple. God makes it so crystal clear that He puts all the features in one passage, all the features in another passage. Because incidentally, we know that First Thessalonians chapter number four is clearly a rapture passage. Amen. And when you take that and you lay it next to John's, you begin to realize that John's is a type, a picture, or an arrow that points out the features of our rapture. Notice, for example, there in uh, John er, uh, Revelation chapter 4, he said, After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now let me just remind you of this. When doors are open, they have a function. Either somebody is going out or somebody is coming in. Well, this is a door that is opened in heaven for Jesus Christ to depart out of, to come down in the clouds for the rapture. So he sees a door. And what would we find in 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4, verse number 16? The Bible said there, watch this, for the Lord himself <coughs> shall descend from heaven. Now, he's descending from heaven through the door of heaven, coming down. I want you to notice there's a door alluded to here, and there is a door in Revelation. But I want you to notice how it becomes much more clear than that here in just a moment. Look over again to Revelation chapter number 4 with me. The next feature is the voice of God. He said, And I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, was as it were of a trumpet. I want you to notice that John hears a voice, and I want you to go over to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven, so he's departing through the door of heaven with a shout and with the voice of of the archangel. I want you to notice that Jesus is leaving heaven in both passages, amen? Or there's a door open at least in both passages. And now you see this voice in both texts of scripture. Go back to Revelation chapter four. Notice the third feature. The Bible tells us there, this is the voice of God and there is shouting going on, amen? And uh, notice what he said. So we see that, then notice the trumpet. The Bible said, after this I looked, and behold a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. So now we find a trumpet in that text. Go back to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He said, For the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump or the trumpet of God. We, of course, believe that Gabriel, praise God, he's been practicing and waiting for a very long time. He's wet his lips. He's done shined up his mouthpiece, amen. He's ready to plug that dude in. And when the Father says to Jesus, go get him, he'll turn to Gabriel. Gabriel will blow the trumpet so loud it will wake the dead, amen. So there is a door and there is a voice and there is a trumpet in both texts of Scripture. Now, if the Lord was trying to confuse us, I mean, why on earth would he do this, my friend, unless this was actually uh, really mirrored passages of scripture. Revelation chapter number four, notice also uh, that there is a call to come up hither. Notice what he said, At this trumpet was talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be Hereafter. Now again, go back if you would to first Thessalonians chapter number four. The Bible says for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Could I tell you that included in the fact that the dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive are caught up within that, my friend, there must be a call to come up hither. For example, just imagine, amen. If I was, uh, just imagine that you were uh, deaf, all right? And uh, I said this to preacher. I said, uh, and you're sitting there and you're watching me, and I said, preacher, I want you to come up hither. You couldn't see what I said, you did not hear it, but all of a sudden you see preacher come up and he starts coming to me. You could tell what I said to him based on the action that followed and I would submit to you in this passage of Scripture we know that there's a voice we know that God is yelling amen we know that there's a trumpet and the very next thing that happens is people start rising up to heaven so the question is what did God actually say in first Thessalonians chapter 4 well we discover what he said based on the action that followed immediately people start rising up to heaven so I would submit to you it's not a stretch at all to say there's a call to come up hither in Revelation 4, and there's a call to come up hither in 1 Thessalonians 4. So you have a door, the voice of God, shouting, a trumpet, and a call to come up hither. Now what does this have to do with anything? I want you to notice some things about this. I want you to notice that when John goes up, it reveals the timing of our rapture. Let me lay out just for a moment the outline of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 is an introduction, that's simple. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, those are letters to the physical churches that existed. Revelation chapter number 4 is John's rapture. Then there's the scene around the throne. There's the beasts. And then you have the crowns being cast. We understand that. Revelation chapter 5, heaven and earth is searched for one who can loose the seals. The line of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, is found who can loose the seals. The tribulation period starts in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 1 and travels on through there. Amen? And so listen to me. John is caught up prior to All 21 judgments of the tribulation period amen and I believe what the Lord is showing us here is that this is the same exact event outline God is showing us the timing of our rapture we are leaving before any of the 21 judgments of the tribulation are ever poured out as I mentioned then John if he pictures us at all he is in heaven the whole time the judgments being poured out and praise God you and I will be in heaven first thing as I mentioned we'll tour the father's house we'll go to the judgment seat of Christ will be made ready and go to the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb and then praise God we will come back at the second advent but Revelation 4 outlines for us that John is raptured right before all the trouble begins. So you know, preacher I'm not tried. Sure I believe that okay bear with me. Go with me very quickly to Revelation chapter 2. There's an interesting feature in Revelation and that is that there is an absolute absence of of the church throughout the entire tribulation period. You show me to church through the tribulation, and I'll eat your dirty socks, friend. I'm telling you, it's not there. I did that because preacher likes one-liners, and I thought I'd give him just another one. Amen. But in all sincerity, look with me to Revelation chapter number two. And notice what your Bible says. And I, there's so much we get into here, but notice this: verse number one: Under the angel of the church. He says in verse number one, right, and then drop down if you would. He said uh, in uh, verse number seven, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse eight, and unto the church verse 11. Uh, he that him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And all the way down through these churches. It goes like this. Church, churches, church, churches, church, churches, church, churches. Then you get to John's rapture. All of a sudden, my friend, there's an absolute disappearance of the church. It is not spoken of again till all the way at the end. Amen. When the bride comes into play and there is a reason for that. And uh, again, you cannot find the church. This guy was telling me the church was there and. Revelation chapter 12, let me help you out a little bit. When you get to the end of chapter 11, the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12, right there in the beginning, that is where the abomination of desolation takes place. When the devil's there in the first part of chapter 12, casting down stars from heaven and throwing a fit, he has just committed the abomination of desolation, desecrated the temple, he is about to pounce on Israel and destroy her. And then when the woman flies in the wilderness, mark this down, that is not the church, that is the nation of Israel. This entity is the one that brought forth the one who was to rule all nations. That is Israel bringing forth Christ from her loins. It is crystal clear. But somehow he wants to insert the church in there. Proper hermeneutics keep us from messing that passage up. But no, there's no church all the way through the tribulation period. Now I want to get to the most important one tonight. And I want you to take your Bible and go to Daniel chapter 9 with me. Daniel chapter number 9. There's, this this is all important, but I say this to people, you know what amazes me? When I went through Anderson's video and dissected it, laid it against scripture, one of the things that glaringly jumped out at me, not only did he mess up trumpets and mix them all together, had the elect messed up, tribulation messed up, but he completely, it was almost like the book of Daniel had never been written. Not one mention of it. Not one reference to it. Nobody, no, no, no speaking about it at all, in the entire, and I'll say this, folks, Daniel is the key to unlocking revelation. You will never understand your eschatology correctly until you lay down all of the scriptures. And Daniel is a key to understanding the book of Revelation. And I would submit that Isaiah, Zechariah, those are important as well. Ezekiel's important, certainly we understand that but Daniel actually has the overall schematic of it, whereas the others will deal with specifics a little bit more and those major and minor prophets. But I want you to look at Daniel chapter nine and listen to me carefully. I've always thought this and I thought, how do they mess this up? Because my thinking is this, if you understood the purpose of the tribulation and you just got that, surely you'd understand that it can't possibly have anything to do with the church. There'd be no reason for the church to be here, in fact, to be counterproductive. In fact, when Jesus promised, you know, that uh, he was gonna deal uh, with the Gentiles and blindness in part happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles be brought in, then throw them into great tribulation. That's all just confusing if you don't understand uh, the purpose of the tribulation period. Now, let me just remind you, the, the tribulation is never called the church's trouble. It's never called the New Testament trouble never called the whole family of God trouble. It is called Jacob's trouble for a specific reason. And let me help you out. God has given the Jews a bill of divorcement. He promised and has scattered them among the nations. There are, as I stand here tonight at my last check, over 80 nations that have over, I believe it's 10,000 full blood Jews living there right now because they're all over the world right now. So how's he going to get them back? Did I mention he's God, yeah. amen? And I mentioned his supernatural, his power. By the way, Israel rising out of the graveyard of extinction twice ought to tell you there's something special about that nation. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> but listen, uh, so, so uh, I have no idea where I was going. i got to get to this, this thought here. Amen? Let's go to Daniel chapter 9. All right, let me throw it out at you. I'm trying to delineate what to say and what not to say. Hold on just a second. I'm trying to get my bearings. Amen? Let's go to the passage. Let's do that. How do I get us out of here by 10 instead of 11? Amen? So, God throws the Jew into tribulation. All right, let's do this. <clears throat> he throws the Jew into tribulation, so he separates them out, scatters them, gathers them back in. After the rapture, he turns, according to Romans chapter 11, he pulls them off a shelf and throws them into great tribulation. Now, there's a reason for this. A lot of people are confused because Israel's is so wicked, how is God going to do this? So he throws them into tribulation, and here's his purpose, all right? They have gone so far that he has to set them up like a bowling pin, so they put their complete trust in Antichrist to smash them down to the ground to cause them to run into his arms. Does that makes sense? So we know Antichrist, he counterfeited the church, he counterfeited the Bible, he counterfeits there's even people that say they're Jews and they are not in spite of the devil for his last hurrah, he steps on the world stage and says I am Christ, right? So the Lord has the Jew basically go and, and, and worship the devil, amen? All right. He allows this to happen in, in a sense, amen? Now wh- wh- what's all this about? He sets them up like a bowling pin so that in the middle of the tribulation, when Antichrist turns his back on on the Jew, that they run into his arms. They finally see. So he brings them back physically, all right, and then he deals with them. All of this is for the purpose of regenerating them spiritually and taking them into the kingdom, okay? So let me ask you a question. Just in what I said right there, what does this have to do with the church? Notice Daniel 9. I want you to see the text itself. I feel like I'm leaving things out, and I feel like I'm saying too much, and I'm looking at my clock, and I'm thinking I'm in trouble. Amen? Notice what, what your Bible says. He says, and let me just remind you of this real quickly. This is a Jewish prophet. And this Jewish prophet is giving a message to Jewish people, and he is a prophet of the Jewish God. Amen? Jehovah, Yahweh, the Hebrew God. And notice what he says. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Let me stop right there for just a second. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Who's he speaking to in the Old Testament? Jews. Amen. All right. So this is natural or national blood Jews. All right. So he said, there's 70 weeks. It's determined upon God's people, the Jews, and upon by Holy City, not New York City, not Chicago. This obviously is the city of David, the Holy City, the city of Jerusalem. Amen? Now, watch this little word. This is very important. Two. Now he's going to tell you the purpose of the tribulation. And once you get this and understand this, it clears up a thousand other questions. I just told you what the purpose was. The Jews are estranged. God's going to bring them back physically, regenerate them by allowing them literally to make a pact with the devil. How does he bring them back? Because they're so apostate. Think with me, as we mentioned, by the way, uh, Tel Aviv is wicked. Uh, It's one of the sodomite capitals of the world. How on earth does he bring them back? Again, he lets them fall flat on their face, trusting in Antichrist, and then when he turns on them, they're in shock and run into his arms. But he also sends 21 cataclysmic judgments, the likes which Jesus said, Matthew, Matthew 24, have never been seen in their severity before, nor ever shall be. He has to use that. This is how wicked and ungodly Jews are. By the way, I have to agree the Jews are wicked. If if it weren't the case, why would God have to go to all these extremes just to bring them back? He ascends two witnesses to deal with the Jews and they do great signs and wonders and miracles in the midst of the people. He raises up 144,000, not Jehovah's Witnesses, Jewish evangelists to go and to evangelize the Jews. All of these things pile up for the purpose of bringing the Jew back. You say, well, they're wicked. Yeah, but look what God is doing and what God is using to bring them back, amen? And so he does all of that. Then he sends an angel to preach the everlasting gospel. I can't I can't fully explain that because I don't fully understand it. It's going to be awesome to know all of this at the end when we look back on it, though. But my point is, my friend, there's a purpose of the tribulation, and that is to bring the Jew back, save the Jew, give the Jew their kingdom. has nothing to do with the church. Notice again, verse 24. He said this. He said two. why are there 70 weeks determined upon thy people and upon the holy city? To finish the transgression. Now, God is agreeing with you. The Jews are in transgression. But you know what this last week, this tribulation is going to do? It's going to finish it. Amen? The Jews will not rebel against him again. Did you know that Gog and Magog is fought by the children at the very end of the millennial kingdom of those Gentiles who entered the kingdom in natural bodies? The resurrection of Israel takes place just prior to the millennial kingdom. Ezekiel said, I'll bring you up out of your graves one by one and take you into the kingdom. So we do have these Gentiles that live to the end of the tribulation period. They were saved or they wouldn't have gone into the kingdom. They go into the kingdom and have kids like rabbits. Hate to I'm just trying to be very quick tonight but literally because of the, of the blessing on the body and the blessing on the land and the blessing on everything that God gives and they have so many kids that at the end of the millennial kingdom they are looked at as the sand of the sea there's this massive army but you don't see the Jews rebelling Amen so listen to me this is to notice what he said verse 24 he said this is to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for an acre let me tell you what reconciliation is the jews were with god the jews left god and now he brings the jews back to god now again show me a church in here somewhere this has absolutely nothing to do with the church jewish prophet jewish god jewish city jewish sin jewish reconciliation and to bring in Everlasting righteousness. Did you know, my friend, that when the rapture takes place, that is the beginning of the end, amen? And that 1,000-year kingdom will enfold into the eternal kingdom? My friend, look, this 70th week literally brings in everlasting righteousness. The kingdom of God come to this earth. Then the new Jerusalem, hallelujah. Again, this is not about the church. And watch this. And to seal up the vision and... Prophecy. I'm going to tell you what, we love prophecy. We try to study it, we try to understand it, we compare it one with another to try to see what's coming down the pike. But are you aware of the fact there'll come a day when every last thing God said will happen? has already happened, and this 70th week, my friend, is to bring us to a place where it completely fulfills everything God said. By the way, do you know he bats a thousand? Hallelujah. Do you know if somebody asked me, why do you believe the Bible's the word of God? I would give them two words, fulfilled prophecy, amen, because everything God said was going to happen, has happened, is happening, it was about to happen, and here he says, this is to do away with prophecy, to fulfill it all, to close the books. It's all going to be done then, and we're going to be in heaven, amen? Notice what he said. He said this, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and watch this, and to anoint the most holy. This is Jesus Christ sitting in the tabernacle of David, amen, and he is finally crowned and he is the king. By the way, isn't it going to be awesome, amen? We won't have to worry about wicked presidents anymore, amen? We won't even have to vote on it. Jesus Christ is coming. No more hang dangling shads, amen? No more worrying about, uh, you know, the mules, you know, uh, faking votes and all that mess. Christ is coming to rule and to reign and they will anoint him the king of the Jews, amen? And so again, I ask you a simple question. And I've asked this a lot of people. Show me the church in this. So 69 weeks are past. We're in the valley of prophecy. They saw the mountain peaks. Amen? But they couldn't see the valley of the church. But again, when that peace treaty is signed, according to this very book and this chapter right here, uh, that is going to be uh, that, that uh, seven years click off and then the millennial kingdom. Now, I've got to hurry on. Let me, let me go on if I could. I'm going to cut some fat out here, amen? Like one fellow said his message was like a ring of bologna, and he could cut it off anywhere and it still tasted good, amen? I'm not willing to admit my messages are like a ring of bologna, though, so I won't say that, all right? But the departure of the Spirit of God. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You ever hear somebody say something this crazy? I just wish all these Christians would be gone. We'd have a utopia. They'll come a day they are. And I've got news for you, it isn't going to be in a, a utopia. It is going to be a time of horror. Now if you think about what Jesus said Matthew 24, we're talking about worse than the flood. Worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Tribulation period, all right? But notice the, the departure of the Spirit of God, 2 Thessalonians chapter two and verse number six. I, I'm in 2 Corinthians, it'd help me if I get to the right book, amen? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 6. Look in your Bible, please. I'm in 1 Thessalonians, amen? I need adult supervision up here or something, amen? You ever just get so many things running through your mind you just can't compute, amen? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm trying to give you an entire, uh, you know, three-week conference on prophecy in one night, amen? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 6. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. That word's an old English word that means restrain or to hold back like a flood wall. He says, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now that doesn't mean he does it at the rapture. What he's saying is the wicked Antichrist will be revealed, who seven years later, when Christ comes back at the second advent, will destroy him. Amen? But my question is this: well, why is it that the Holy Spirit departs before Antichrist of the seven tribulations, seven tribulations is revealed? And the reason is because his influence is largely in and through our lives, amen? And when every saved person leaves, the influence and empowerment and conviction of the Holy Spirit leaves. So that which is holding back, you know who's holding back? The Holy Spirit, but He's using us. The church is holding back the corruption and the wickedness and absolute moral destruction of this society. So again, for those who would say, I can't wait till all the Christians are gone. Won't it be great? No, it won't. It will be horrible. We will see the evil hearts of men can completely unrestrained, with no church around to be salt and to light and bring any conviction or shame upon their lives. The tribulation will be filled with wicked, ungodly men. My point is this, the Spirit of God departs before the wicked one is revealed. The church and all the family of God leave here, the Spirit's influence leaves, and then the Antichrist comes. Now I want to do something again. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 24 with me. Matthew 24, and we're going to flip to a couple scriptures, and then Revelation 6. I really feel it's important, if I do nothing else tonight, further, I want to make sure that you understand that we are not talking about a mid-trib rapture, we're talking about a pre-trib rapture. Now, this often gets cloaked in this terminology. Well, I'm pre-wrath. Now, let me help you tonight so am I we leave before all of the wrath of God <clears throat> however what they're saying is we don't believe the wrath starts till halfway through therefore we're gonna be here for the first three and a half years now to be clear the Jews experience a great degree of peace during a time when God is still pouring out his judgments upon this planet the 21 judgment of the tribulation begin in the beginning of the tribulation period although Antichrist has the Jew in his back pocket in essence is fooling them until the midway point of the tribulation period but the big push today is to get us to accept a mid-trib rapture I want you to notice Matthew 24 and I'm gonna go hold Revelation chapter 6 and we're gonna go back we're gonna bounce back to Daniel uh, here in just a minute as well But please just bear with me, and I want to show you another, what I call a dovetail or hand in glove, uh, two passages of Scripture. Okay? So let's look here, Revelation chapter 6. Okay, you've got it? All right. Now, here's what I would submit to you. First, let's do this before we go further. I want to clarify this, and then we're going to come back to this. Look at verse 15 in Matthew 24. He said, When ye therefore. Speaking to the Jews shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. I want you to understand this. And this passage is largely, if not completely, in total chronological order. Verse number 15 is the halfway point of the tribulation. How do I know that? I'm not going to turn to every passage for sake of time. Write down Daniel 9.27 and in the midst of the week, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall break the covenant, okay? That's clear, that is in Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. The halfway point of the last week, so 1260 days in, amen? Times is years, okay? So you have two years, time, and then a half a time. That's three and a half years times two. It's broken down into two different sections. So my point is this, in Matthew 24, don't, don't miss this, Verse 15 is the halfway point of the tribulation. Now I'm going to give you some real deep theology, don't miss this. And the stuff that he talks about before, it's in the first half. It's really hard to understand. You might want to write this down, okay? Now, so, and now let me give you the flow of the entire chapter. He starts and he talks about some destruction in AD 70. He goes, into, uh, he goes right into the tribulation period. Up to the halfway point, and the abomination of desolation continues on through to the end of the tribulation and then that 's when he talks about the great Jewish trumpet and calling the elect from the four winds and bringing them in even all the way up there 's a seventy five day intermittent period end of daniel chapter twelve i don 't want to get into all of that there 's a judgment of the nation 's reconstruction of an earth that 's an absolute chaos, a cleansing of the temple that takes place in there, but even the judgment of the nations he 's going to go into in matthew chapter twenty five so this is all tribulation period, the end of the tribulation, halfway point, end of the tribulation, end of the the second advent, and all the way into the judgment of the nations, which is after the second advent, leading up into the millennial kingdom, okay? Is everybody still with me? Does anybody even care at this point? Amen? All right, now notice this. I want want you to see some things. Look back to uh, verse, let's start in verse number five, for sake of time. They're asking him some questions, he's answering them and he says this for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many revelation chapter 6 verse number one I believe Jesus is alluding to this not just all that came before him but he is the actual culmination of all that came before him he is the final one who steps on the world stage and says I'm the Messiah Receive me, I'll fix everything. Uh, chapter number 6 and verse 1, I saw him the lamb open one of the seals, heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, him, behold, a white horse that speaks of uh, purity. This is a counterfeit of Jesus Christ. He that sat on him had a bow, that is a weapon of war, and a crown counterfeiting Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Antichrist comes, and listen to me, uh, as, notice again, go back if you would, uh, in verse, or chapter number 24, verse 5, He comes saying, I am Christ. Look at my crown. Look at my sword. Look at my power. Look at my conquering. Look at me coming. I am the Christ. That is what Antichrist says, okay? Now, what are you trying to say? I'm telling you that what Jesus is talking about is the first horse of the apocalypse in Matthew 24. Now. Say, what else, preacher? Well, okay, look, if you would. Matthew chapter 24, again, verse number 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Skip down to verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And what would we find? Notice again, Revelation chapter number 6, and the second horse. And the Bible said in verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. So the red is symbolic of blood. And and, and him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword, which is a weapon of war. Jesus is now immediately going into the second horse of the four horses of the apocalypse. Jesus is describing the tribulation period. Now, I know I'm going to get there. Did you notice this was before verse 15? Did you notice before the halfway point, you have these judgments being poured out? You say, well, that may not necessarily be wrathful. I'm going to show you. It actually says that it's wrath. Go again uh, to Matthew chapter 24. And what is the next feature that Jesus said we could consider in the tribulation? He said here in verse number 7, for it shall rise against the nation, and there shall be famines. All right? Go back again. Revelation chapter number 6. Is Jesus really outlining the four horses of the apocalypse? Chapter 5. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and behold, a black horse... That's death. He that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say a measure of wheat for a penny. That's extreme rationing and famine. Three measures of barley for a penny. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. That's a denarius for one cup of meal for an entire family. Can you imagine going to bed hungry every night? Jesus was saying there is going to be famines and the third horse of the apocalypse is famine. So Jesus is walking through the four horses of the apocalypse. How do I know? Let's look at the fourth one Matthew chapter 24 and notice what he says. He says, Now, uh, a nation shall rise against nation. Verse seven, there shall be famines and Pestilences. Okay, let's go back to Revelation chapter 6. And what would we find? Is Jesus indeed chronologically walking through the first four judgments of the tribulation? Absolutely. Verse number 7 When he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death those are the previous judgments and with the beasts of the earth this carries with it the idea of pestilences the beasts of the earth are the pestilences of this chapter now you say well preacher what does this have to do with anything everything jesus said in those verses falls prior to the abomination of desolation daniel 9 27 was in the middle now so what are you talking about? Well, he's talking about the beginning of the tribulation. You say, okay, preacher, Jesus was talking about these judgments in Revelation 6. They fall before the halfway point, but how do we know what's in Revelation 6 is actually the wrath of God? Let me help you. You have two more judgments before the end of the chapter that come. When you get to the end of the chapter, there is a pause, in essence, and the people that are living in it. By the way, if you would want to know what something was like, let's ask the people that are there when it happens. Amen? And as they look back and assess, would you notice what they said about what they're going through and have gone through in the first judgments? Is this the wrath of God? Because if this is the wrath of God and you claim pre-wrath, then you've gotta go up, uh, you've gotta be going up at the beginning before the tribulation comes. Am I right about that? If this is wrath and you say, well, I'm pre-wrath and you believe in a pre-trib rapture just like me, you can't make this not wrath. For notice in Revelation 6, drop down with me, notice what your Bible said verse number 15 the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the what the wrath wrath of the lamb do you know that Revelation 6 is the wrath of the lamb do you know Jesus Christ himself put Revelation 6 Prior to the halfway point of the tribulation period. Do you know that the whole tribulation period is wrath? So this pre-wrath is nothing but a smokescreen. Absolutely I'm pre-wrath. And I'm going up prior to all 21 judgments of the tribulation according to what Jesus said. Let's go further. Is there any other evidence? Notice this. Verse 17. For the great day. That is the totality of the seven year tribulation period. The great day of his wrath is come it's here right now and who shall be able to stand at the most that has passed six judgments and they said his wrath is already here and jesus put that in the first half of the tribulation period so you're going to come across somebody i was shocked brother men that are local church baptist deluxe and they're moving to a pre-wrath rapture Because one verse confused them, or they heard this one preacher say something, or they listened to Stephen Anderson's video and don't want to admit it. Amen? Folks, listen. There exists no mid-trib, a pre-wrath rapture. There is a mid-trib abomination and a pre-tribulational rapture. Now let me take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I know this was scattershot amen, all over the map. I just hope you get something out of it. Amen. Yeah. Jesus Christ is coming again. I'm gonna tell you something. When my wife took our kids to all their dental appointments, we we literally had a dentist in northwestern Indiana. There was a time we were down, I think we were Brother Abbey or somebody like that, and they did a 12-hour drive because of dental appointments. A couple of them had braces. My wife got braces at one point in time, and it was brutal. She tried to make it fun. They'd stay in nicer hotels if they could afford it. Then they'd, she'd always take them out for a Mexican. But you know, nothing could convince me that I needed to go on those appointments. <laughs> it wasn't my appointment. I mean, I'm sorry, I know that sounds bad. By the way, they didn't want dad along so they could misbehave like a bunch of girls do, amen? But it wasn't my appointment. It was my dog. I went for my appointments, amen. I didn't go for enough as a kid, but I went for my appointments. But can I tell you something? We don't have an appointment with God's wrath in the tribulation. And do you know why that is? Because Jesus Christ hung on a cruel cross, and all the wrath and fury of God was poured out, and the whole sins of the world were piled on him, and he literally became sin, he that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't have to finish the job, otherwise Jesus lied when he said it is finished. It's not like we get saved, plus we take a real good beating in the first half of the tribulation. No, that's not how this works, amen. Christ took care of all my sin, positionally, past, present, and future. I am completely forgiven, and now I don't have an appointment with wrath. I've got a different appointment, amen. They went for their appointments, I went for my appointment and that is how it should be. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us Who's the us? Drop back to verse uh, number 5. you are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not in the night nor of the darkness. Amen. And so the Bible says, God hath not appointed to us the children of light and the children of the day. We don't have an appointment with wrath. But what's our appointment? To obtain salvation. That is the redemption of our body, the completion of it all. When in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, we are all changed, hallelujah. And we're given those glorified bodies and we finally see him as he is and become like him completely. We have an appointment to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Why in the world anybody would want to switch appointments, amen? I'm getting a root canal. Would you like to go do it for me? What are you, nuts? Amen? God is going to punish the Jews, throw them into great tribulation, and go to such great extents, my friend, that it is almost unfathomable, and why it is that Christians are trying to include themselves in that, why they think the 70th week, although it's all Jewish, and it has to do with a Jewish God, Jewish prophecies, a Jewish city, Jewish sins, Jewish reconciliation, a Jewish king, a Jewish crown, all of that, why they want to try to steal that and get included in it is beyond me. I like the story a whole lot better the way it's already written. Amen? Amen. I like this deal where Christ had complete grace and all my sins are washed away and God is no longer angry at me, upset with me, or mad at me. In fact, he bids me to come boldly to the throne of grace because I have perfect peace and communion with him. Why in the world he would take all of us, whom Jesus took all of our punishment and then punish us again for another three and a half years or seven years makes zero sense biblically. It takes away everything Jesus did. It's like, well, now you've got to trust Jesus, plus you've got to endure a real good beating, too. No, that's not how it happens. Now, if you compare this to Romans 8, 1, it gives you a double double whammy. Amen? Romans 8, and verse number 1 says, There is therefore now only three and a half years condemnation. Is that what your Bible says? Amen? The new living, rap, cussing, whatever Bible they just came out with doesn't even say that. Amen? They've got so many filthy, rotten versions out there today. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now listen, if I, go, if I have to go into the tribulation and I get to him and say, wait a minute, Lord. You said I didn't have any condemnation. Amen. We literally have an argument, a controversy with God. But thank God we can believe his promises. He is true to his word. And what he's telling us is don't listen to those people who say that you still got to get punished. Jesus took it all. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I am glad to report to you, Jesus is coming again. Amen? Amen. And he's coming before all seven years of the tribulation period. You know what amazes me? These nuts that used to be Baptists, now they're buying buckets of rice. I'm all for stockpiling ammo, but not for a tribulation I'm not gonna be here for. Amen? But they're moving to Montana. They're building bunkers. They're putting containers underground and trying to hide out. There's a lot of people, man, that what's going to happen when the tribulation comes? Well, I'll be busy hanging out with Jesus. Amen. We'll be busy going to the judgment seat of Christ and praying that we'll just get some crowns that we could cast at his feet. And then going to the marriage of the Lamb. Hallelujah. How glorious is that going to be? So I'm just looking for the tribulation, Period, preacher. You probably be here for cuz you're all messed up. If you're looking for the tribulation. You didn't hear a word I said tonight. This is a Jewish punishment and a and a time for God to draw them back, reconcile them, bring the Old Testament Jews up out of their graves one by one and all together the nation of Israel enters their millennial kingdom. That's what the tribulation is for, and we are gone when it happens up in heaven just like John is. Now what does all this mean? Well, Jesus is coming back soon. Then what I preached last night, there's a double urgency to it. You just sat here and said you believed in it. Well, then if there's lost people that God wants you to witness to, then there's a double urgency to it if He's coming back soon. And if you plan on giving or going or praying or doing anything for the glory of Almighty God, the time is very short and we had better get it done now. My final charge to this church and this revival is Jesus is coming again. We better get busy. We better do something so that when we sing, bringing in the sheaves, we actually have something for him. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.